0: You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now here is Tom Eliff. I don't know about you, but I'm always inspired when I watch these athletes give everything they have on the field of athletic competition. I mean, when you see somebody bursting through the tape and realize they couldn't run one more step. I mean, they collapsed there in the cinders. Or you see a game come to a close and, and athletes collapsed out there on the field. They've left their heart on that field. They've done everything they know to do. All the energy they've had has been expended. I'm always challenged when I read in the Bible about the mighty men of David. There was one of them named Eliezer. Now, one thing that was not so mighty is his... Uh, His family name, he was the son of Dodo, the Ehoite. And uh, I don't know whether having a dodo for a father had anything to do with this, but Eliezer was certainly one of the mighty men of David. And the Bible says that there was an occasion when Eliezer, along with some of his companions, were engaged in a battle, and he fought with such fierce intensity that when the battle was over, here's what the Scripture says, his hand clave unto the sword. You know what that meant? That meant they literally had to pry his fingers off of the handle of that sword. He had given everything in that battle. Isn't that the way you want to live your life? Don't you want to come to the end of your life knowing that you've done all that you could do? You did it the best way you knew how to do. There wasn't anything that else that you knew to do that you didn't do. Some of the saddest people I meet in this life are people who don't do their best. I visited with a man one time who complained about always being tired. He said, you know, I'm just always tired. He said, it just seems like I never get a a real good day off. And he said, you know, the days off roll around. He said, I try to relax. He said, but I I, I think, he said, I don't know what the problem is. He said, maybe I'm just working too hard. I'm just always tired. You know what his problem was? It wasn't that he was working too hard. It was that he wasn't working diligently enough. As a matter of fact, if he had worked diligently on his days on, he would have enjoyed his days off. The truth of the matter was that when he got to his day off, he knew that there was still a lot of stuff left to do that he hadn't done on his day's on. Now, I want to end my life, I believe you want to end your life, being able to say, I've done my best. I have done my best. And so with that in mind, and as we think together about how you can do your best for the rest of your life, how you can do your best all the time, no matter what's been in the past, from this service today, down deep within your heart, you can purpose to do your best with the rest of your life. Let's stand together and I'm going to begin reading with verse 17. Whatsoever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Here's some examples. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, fathers, Provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. That's an interesting word there, lose heart. It really means the escaping of breath, lest they just get to the point where they have no desire at all to be pleasing to anybody. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And he takes up the exhortation again, whatsoever you do, Do it heartily as unto the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that does wrong shall receive for the wrong which he has done, and there is no respect of persons. Chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, employers, give unto your servants that which is just and equal. Uh, the word just, righteous before God and equal, maybe that, in other words, what is deserved, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, we're thinking together about how to do your best all the time. Father, I pray that this morning your Holy Spirit will be our teacher. I pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, nothing that I say would be anything less than a a perfect representation of of the intent of this scripture. And so, Father, I want to commit myself to you. And I ask you, Heavenly Father, if, if necessary, to, to speak to people's hearts in spite of me, if you cannot use me. For, Lord, we all desperately need to hear from you. We're trusting your spirit will speak through this, your word. Father, we thank you that we can gather like this to worship. What a tragedy it would be to have to give an account for these moments and not to have done our best. And so, Father, even in these moments, we want to be the best hearers, the best deliverers of the word, the most attentive and the most eager to respond. And I pray at invitation time, Father, there'll be those who'll say, yes, I'll give my life to God. Yes, I want to become a part of a church family like this. Yes, there are areas in my life which need to change. And Father, we're trusting that you'll bring great response at that time. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. How do you do your best? all the time well now if you're a guest here this morning let me just say that this is a this is a message that has three parts and you're getting in on a part of the middle part those who watch this on television or listen on the radio they get the whole dose but you're just getting in on a part of the middle part how do you do your best all the time we noted first of all that there is an exhortation here in the Bible to which you need to respond. You, you don't need just to listen to it or to receive the truth of it. You need to respond to the biblical exhortation. It's found in verse 17, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And verse 23, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men. And we've already seen that doing your best involves being the right man, operating with biblical authority, having the right mind, giving thanks to God. In other words, seeing that everything that you do is an opportunity to show your stewardship unto the Lord. You need to have the right manner, do it heartily, and you need to have the right motive as unto the Lord, not as unto men. Now, that is a biblical exhortation to which you need to respond. I'll be the right man with the right man mind. I'll do this with the right manner, having the right motive. Now, just so that we could see this in real life, the Apostle Paul next gives us some basic examples. So we have the biblical exhortation to which we respond. Now, some basic examples which we can review. And so let's look at these basic examples here, beginning with verse 18 and continuing down through verse 1 of chapter 4. And we'll deal with as many of them as we have time to deal with in this service and just continue on this evening with the balance. These are just illustrations of arenas in your life where you have an opportunity to do your best. Now let me say that there are two different arenas given here your home and then your workplace. And when he speaks about the home, which by the way, he speaks about twice as often as he does about the workplace, showing us the, the, where, where the Lord comes down is on the importance of being what you are first in the home. Did you know leadership, true leadership begins in the home? Leadership is influence. And if you are not believable, if you're not a person of integrity, if you're not a person of honesty, And of genuine love and concern in the home, it's going to be very difficult for you to be a leader anyplace else. True leadership begins in the home. And so he gives us some examples in the home. He said, and notice the pattern. It's wives, husbands, children, parents, and then he moves outside the home, employers, or rather employees, employers. Servants, masters is the way he puts it because that was most common at that time. And so he gives us these illustrations so that you can know and I can know what doing our best in the home and on the job is all about. So let's review these examples. First of all, there is your relationship as a companion. Your relationship as a companion. A word to wives and a word to husbands. Now, what I'm about to say, I make no apologies for saying every once in a while, especially in our contemporary society, there is a great outcry against the biblically established order and pattern in the home. For instance, in a few moments, we're going we're to read words which cause fire in the eyes of some people out there on the street. Maybe even somebody here will struggle with that. Wives, su- submit yourselves to your own husbands. What does that mean? You see, that is so counter to our society. Now, let me remind you of this, that just because a biblical principle runs counter to what our contemporary culture is saying does not mean that biblical principles are wrong. Cultures have come and gone. The Bible has never changed. And by the way, in any showdown between culture and Christ, Christ always wins, amen? Amen. And so what we're going to read in these next few moments is not something trying to establish men as male chauvinistic pigs or women as doormats. That's not the purpose of this. But with no apology, we're going to see how you can do your best, first of all, as a companion. And so let's look at it right here in the Scripture. Verse 18, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. Now, there are three issues with which he deals in that one little statement. Look at it first of all. There is the issue of position or role. Wives, submit yourselves. There's a real misconception about this uh, in the hearts of people who do not understand the Bible. The misconception is this, that the wife is to be the doormat of the husband, or the wife is to be the servant to the husband. Nothing could be farther from the truth. As a matter of fact, in just a little bit, you're going to discover that the Lord really comes down heavy on husbands, and he says that a husband is to to treat his wife, to dwell with her, having the same love for her that Christ had for the church, which ultimately cost him his life, having the same desires for her that Christ had for the church, that she be all that was potentially within her to be, treating her as the honored vessel. You see, it's just the opposite. The world says, well, if you read that, wives, submit to yourselves. That means lie down, be a doormat, just let your husband run roughshod over you. Well, what does that issue of position say? The interesting thing is that this word in the original language of the Scripture means to place yourself in, listen to this, a subordinate position as a matter of protection and honor. To subordinate yourself for protection, and for honor. You know, authority is a big deal in our society. We, uh, everybody wants to have authority. But have you ever noticed that the people who really get the ch- job done are people who learn to live under authority? Do you remember when the Lord Jesus was on his way? As a matter of fact, he was on his way to heal an individual. There was a man who came uh, through the crowd. He was a centurion. And he said, My servant is sick, and I know that if you just speak the word, he could be healed, and and you don't even need to come to the house. He said, I know because you are a man, listen to this, under authority as am I. He said, Jesus, all the great things you can do, you can do because you have subordinated yourself. You are under the authority. Just as I, a centurion, I am under authority. Why, as a mere man out of here on the street, I couldn't do any of this, but because I'm under authority, look, I have at least a hundred soldiers who are responsible to me. And I can do a lot of things because I'm under authority. We all want to be authoritative. No, here he says, Wives... Put yourself under authority. Be in the subordinate position for protection and for honor. I make no apologies for that. That's exactly what the Lord says. Now, notice not only a word about the position of a wife, but the passion of a wife. Notice what he says here. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. Now, it says wives, husband. It doesn't mean you ought to have many husbands, but to your own husband would be the way we would look at that in the singular. Your heart, your passion, your desire, your love, your eyes ought to be toward your husband. Now, I want to tell you something. You can't do that and leave television on during the day and watch soap operas where men are standing around without their shirts on or in bed without their clothes on with some other woman. Just look at that man, look at this man, look at this man, look at this man, look at this man. It is to have eyes for your husband only. If a husband is supposed to be a one-woman man, you ought to be a one-man woman. He ought to be the object of your affection, the object of your desire. You ought to have a passion, a deep desire to love, to cherish your husband. And that relationship with him ought to be something that ought to occupy your thoughts night and day. I want to love my husband husband, to bring out the best in him. Now, let me tell you, that's what love is. Love brings out the best. Love doesn't always lecture, but love finds ways to bring out the best in another person. Let me just say something parenthetically here that that you can put in your uh, mental pipe and smoke. No, that's not a good allegory. Uh, You can uh, put this in your mouth and chew. That doesn't sound too good. Anyway, think about this for a little bit, okay? Put this someplace and think about it for a little bit. One of the things that creates great difficulty for a wife is when one day she wakes up and she finds herself in a subordinate position, not only to her own husband, but to somebody else. For instance, she's at home, and there she's the wife. Uh, later on she goes someplace else and there there's somebody else in authority and he or she's telling her what to do. And I have discovered, as a matter of fact, I, I read some statistics some time ago that indicated that, that there, were, there were tremendous difficulties that were created in the heart of an individual who is trying to serve two masters. And our society has set up a system which is so devastating to the home because we have uh, so few homes in which the wife has the option of being just subordinate to her husband, but she also has others out here in the world to whom she must be subordinate, other authorities, because she works here, she works there, or she's involved in this or that, and it makes it so difficult. You say, oh, I see what you're saying, Brother Tom. You're one of those people who say, you know, build a fence. You know, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about God's plan. And the Bible says that a wife, first of all, positionally in that honored, revered, protected place, and then passionately, I have a passion for my own husband. Why am I saying that? Well, let me explain. Not every husband and wife get along like they ought to. And a lot of husbands and wives, because both, you know, are are occupied outside the home. I mean, our society places such demands on people and so many financial demands in their work. Well, what happens is they end up giving each other the rag ends of their life, the leftovers of their life. They try to, to love each other and raise their children in the spare hours they have when they get home. And when they, when they do, they're both they're tired of listening and both tired of talking, and so they don't listen to very well to each other and they don't talk very well to each other. in those few hours that they have at night before they go to bed... They try to make all the major decisions of their life during that, that time. Well, what happens is in many instances during the next day after not having had a very good night but going to work, being more alert and more thoughtful, well, here's a guy, he's got his act together and here's the, the wife, she's got her act together and suddenly at work there begins to develop a Chemistry. Or all of a sudden, you may begin thinking, well, this this person at work understands me more. Why, she understands me more, or he understands me more. And, of course, work is sort of a synthetic environment. There's always, you know, it's always clean. And, you know, yeah. well, and so what happens is there's this tearing in the spirit which begins to divide a relationship. Now, I don't know how that plays out in your family. I don't know what that means. But I think that you and your companion ought to seriously study what it means, first of all, positionally to be in that subordinate, honored, protected position. Secondly, passionately to say, we're going to have the kind of life where we only have eyes for each other. Don't you think America needs that kind of a family where we only have eyes for each other? And then notice not only positionally and passionately, but he says something about the fact that you understand God's plan when you do that. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the lord you know what he's saying here he's saying that is the way god has planned it and that means that it will work best that way it's fit that's that's god's plan now you can reverse that you know we're big on that in this nation we reverse everything don't we we find uh, people trying to reverse their sexual roles. We find, well, we just try to reverse everything. But here's what he's saying. God's plan, the plan that he created you for, the plan that God knows works is this plan. That's fit. We used to, some people backwoods would say, well, that's fitting for us. Well, he said, it's fit in the Lord. In other words, God looks at that and says, that pleases me because that's my original plan. That's according to the model that I have given you. Well, What about the husband? The husband doesn't get off the hook. In fact, we've got a bigger hook for you. Let's look at what he says to the husband. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Well, what does this speak about? Well, three other issues. First of all, it speaks about the promise of your heart. I I think this is a wonderful... In fact, uh, David Jarbo, our men's minister, and I were talking about this the other day. It's a wonderful... Title, Promise Keepers. We had a big group of men went down to Denton, some of you going out to Boulder. I mean, this is sweeping the nation. Promise Keepers, training men. That's our desire here, to train faithful men, men who mean what they say, men who will keep their word. What does he say here? Husbands, love your wives, or you. Husband, you love your wife. You say, well, what if she's not lovely or lovable? I got news for you. In fact, this piece of philosophy comes out of the Scripture, but it's adequately uh, expressed by James Stewart in Shenandoah. Now, I'm not going to imitate James Stewart. Don't worry. I'm not a Dennis Swanberg or somebody else. But he did say, boy, he said, you're going to discover that your wife needs the most love when she's the least lovely. You see, many guys say, I love my wife if she looks lovely or if she acts lovable. That's what I'm going to know. He's saying here, you love your wife, nobody else's wife. Now, guys, you know what this means? It means that you ought to have eyes only for her. Listen, you know when you're watching TV, you know what your wife is watching? Listen, she's watching your eyes as you watch TV. Other people come in the room, you watch them, she watches you. She wants to know whether you keep in your promise. She wants to know whether you mean what you say. I love you and you alone. You are the object of my affection. You are my cherished bride. My wife. I only love you. Years ago, the very first year of our marriage, my wife and I were there in front of a television. We were both students. And I was pastoring a church, and we were commuting, and boy, you know, life was hectic. Thank God you do all that when you're young, including having kids. Having grandkids is easy compared to having kids because grandkids are perfect. No, it's grandparents who are perfect. That's. It. Well, anyway, we were there. We had an old black and white TV. I think her parents had given it to us. It was on a, one of those metal stands, you know, that looked like it will fall over about any minute. And I was just watching what everybody watches, you know, watches it at night. Then I was, Johnny Carson had just replaced Jack Parr. So I was watching Johnny Carson. And somebody came across the screen, or he was interviewing somebody, I don't know, probably Zsa Zsa Gabor, I don't know who it was. And my wife said to me, she said, you know, that is offensive to me. It just, I, I just, you know, when, when I see, hear what they're talking about, and... And she said, not just because you're a preacher, but because we're married, you know, and just to see the way she's dressed. She said, I just, I just wish we didn't do that. And you know what? The Lord is my witness this morning. Since then, and that was 1966, August the 20th. Whew, I looked it up before I came in. Uh, since then, I, I'll tell you before the Lord, I have not watched... A sum total of five minutes of Johnny Carson or whoever replaced him. You know why? Because I meant what I said to my wife. I love you and you alone. I only have eyes for you. Some of you who are my sort of accountability team, Jim, will call me sometimes. Jim Daniel will. And I'll be traveling. Preacher, what are you watching? you the Lord pleased with what you're seeing? Did you just lie to me? Now, I do the same thing for him. Some of these other guys are in our accountability group. If you don't have an accountability group, you ought to get one. What are you doing? David, ask me questions. I ask David questions. Where are you going? What are you thinking? What are you doing? Why? Because I want to be a promise keeper. And men... If you're not a promise keeper, you're not even a gutless wonder, you are just gutless as far as the Lord is concerned. And so here it says, you need to make a promise of your heart. Husband, love your wife, not somebody else's wife, not who you think ought to be your wife, not somebody that looks like you think your wife ought to look. You love your wife, period, full stop, end of the sentence. Husband, love your wife. Not only the promise of your heart, it speaks of the passion of your heart. He says, love her. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. You know what? Did Christ love us because we're beautiful? No, but because we were going to get that way. Did he love us because we were nice? No, but because he was going to make us that way. Did he love us because we were sinless? No, but because he was going to help us get that way in heaven one day. Did he love us because we didn't have any blemishes or spots? No, but because he was going to handle that. He was going to give us a spiritual overhaul one of these days in heaven. What I want you to see is this. Jesus didn't love his bride because his bride at that moment was everything that a bride ought to be. He loved the bride for what he knew the bride could become with his love. And you don't love your bride because of the way she is now? Oh, that's fine enough. Listen, sometimes guys say, well, if she'd do this or she'd dress that way or she'd lose these pounds or she'd be more this or she'd be more that, then I could love her. Did you know that your assigned role in life is to love your wife like Christ loved the church? And I want to tell you something, sir, you ain't no beauty queen to God. But he loves you anyway because of who you can become by his grace with his work in your life, you see. Now, What does the Scripture say about that? Well, look over in Ephesians chapter 5. Turn back. If you're not familiar with your Bible, just turn back. You'll find Philippians and then Ephesians as you go backward in your Scripture, all right? Notice what he says about the husband loving the wife. Verse 25, Ephesians 5. Husband, love your wives just like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. It cost him his life. You know, some guys, some guys come in sometimes, they'll say, look, I know I'm committing adultery, but I can't help myself. You know what Jesus did before he do that? He'd died for you. You'd, you ought to sooner die than be unfaithful to your wife. Literally, you ought to sooner die than be unfaithful to your wife. You say, Brother Tom, those are strong words. Those are Bible words. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He gave up everything including his life for it. Husband love your wife as Christ loved the church. He gave himself for it and he had the right purpose that he might sanctify means it means it was dirty when he got it and cleanse it by the washing of the water by the word it needed work that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. That means it's got spot and wrinkle now. Or any such thing, that it should be holy. That means it's unholy now. And without blemish, that means we're blemished now. But he loved us and gave himself for us. Passion of your heart, passion of hers for you, passion of your heart to love her as Christ loved the church. Notice, it means you ought to have a purpose in your heart. Notice what he says here. And be not bitter against them. I need to tell you what the the word is here in the original language of Scripture. It's pick rhino. We get our word pick, pierce, a pick. You know what he's saying here? Quit picking at your wife. Quit picking at your wife. What about this? What about that? Well, I'll tell you what. Some of these ladies are doing a stellar job of living with some of you creeps. My wife reminds me of that every once in a while. So I had to include myself in that. You know, how many of make a difference what some wives do? Their husband can spot the one thing they didn't do and just pick, 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 cut, hurt with words and statements and looks and acts to cut, to cut, to cut. He said, you ought to have it as your purpose in your heart not to tear down but to build up. Be not bitter. Quit picking this, that, and the other. The purpose of your heart, to build up, not to tear down to heal, not to lacerate. Purpose of a man's heart. You know, I believe, um, I just believe I need to bring this to a time of invitation right here. Tonight we'll deal with children, fathers, employees, employers, but I just think it'd be appropriate for me right now to, to deal with this issue. And as a matter of fact, you know something? I think that maybe it would be good in a few moments, even if, if you're sitting next to your wife or your husband, and you say, you know, the Lord's spoken to my heart, I think it'd be a great thing for you just to take your companion by the hand and say, let's just go to the altar, just you and me. And I want you to hear me say to you that that I want to be in the role that God has assigned me. I want to have a passion for you. I want us to live out the plan of God for our lives. I want us to just quit tearing each other down. And wouldn't it be great for you to come? You say, well, well you know, our marriage is wonderful. We'll come down here and thank God for how wonderful it is. And, and say once again, let your wife, let your husband hear those words, I love you. Wouldn't that be Wonderful. Maybe your husband's out here and you're in the choir. Your wife's out here and you're in the choir. You want to go find somebody and come to this altar. Now, there are other people for whom this invitation uh, is given. Some of you need to join this church. I mean, the Lord just put it in your heart and you need to be obedient to the Lord. So I want to encourage you. Some of you want to come as families. Some of you want to come as an individual, a single person, a student, or single man or woman. You just come and say, look, I want to join. We want to join this church. Couples, always people that just say, we want to plant our lives. We really want to be used of God in a local fellowship. Well, there'll be counselors down here, okay? And you just come find a counselor, and that's what you're coming is saying. We want to join the church. Some of you have made decisions in recent weeks. You've not been introduced to your church family, and I'm going to ask you when the invitation is given, along with these others who will be coming, just to come and be seated over here where it says seating for new members and we'll introduce you. if in case you've been baptized or joined our church in recent days and we've not introduced you to your church family, there are always a few like that. So you come and just be seated over here. And then I believe that there are some here this morning who need more than anything. You need the grace of God. You look at your life, you say, you know, I'm a sinner. Well, we all are, but God loves you. And he sent his son Jesus to pay the price for your sin on the cross of Calvary. You heard about that this morning. He gave himself for you. He died on the cross. He has risen from the grave, and he has said that if you would receive him by faith, repenting of your sin, turning to him, that he would enter your life, he'd forgive you of all sin, past, present, and future, give you abundant life, give you eternal life, take you to heaven when you die. I mean, that's all available in Christ. Wouldn't it be something if, if as a partner, a companion, you say, you know what I need? I need Jesus as a husband. Of course you do. I need Jesus as a wife. Sure you do. There's no other way for you to love one another like you ought to because you're dead in the spirit. How can you love with God's love if you're dead to God? And you ought to come to this altar and say, look, what I need is to receive Christ as my Savior. Maybe you're here and you've gone through a divorce. Maybe you're alone. Maybe looking back, you have such regret. You say, oh, man, I see. I, uh, what an example. He says how to do my best. I didn't do my best. I didn't do my best. Just that one example out of three, I already didn't do my best. Maybe you just need to come to the altar and say, Lord, by your grace from this day on, from this day on by your grace, I want to be the man or woman that you've called me to be. Oh, we need men of God, women of God. We need families built on God. This altar is open. No one but you know what's in your heart. Wouldn't it be wonderful if they all are just filled up with couples and families? Just people saying, you know, not necessarily we want to get right. Maybe we thank God because of what he's done. Just kneeling here briefly and praying, you just come. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand together. Oh, Father in heaven, how I pray, trusting that your Holy Spirit will move in power in this place this morning. Bring to this altar those who will say yes to you. Oh, dear God, stir up by your Holy Spirit within the heart of every one of us deep conviction and determination to be and to do right. Lord, especially this morning for companions, those who know the loss of a companion, those who know what they ought to be as a companion, those who want to thank you or what you've made them as a companion. Oh, Lord, bring them to this altar, I pray in Jesus' name.